All right. Good morning, Faith Church. Hey, welcome, welcome, man. It's so good to have everybody joining us here in person in Florence. Some of our serve teams here, we wanted to bless them as we get calibrated to get back into the building in just a few short weeks. But we want to welcome everybody who's watching online, whether you're in Lawrenceburg or in Florence. We have people watching all over the nation. Come on, Faith Church. Will you welcome all of our online audience? Great, 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 man, to see some faces. Let me just tell you, it's tough preaching to chairs. Woo! Let me, just, let me just take it all in for a second. Right. It's good to see somebody smiling face again. Thanks for being here. Thanks for, again, joining us online. Today, we are concluding the series that we started several weeks ago entitled, Missing the Point. And the point of the series is that a lot of times we read things that God has said to us and we've missed the point, right? All of us have been there. We've been in conversations. We're trying to convince somebody or trying to get somebody to hear us, and it feels like they're not hearing what we're saying. It's like they're missing the point. Again, we're not the only ones who experience that. God experiences it really throughout his word where there are things that he has said to us, things that he has revealed to us, things that he's told us. And for some reason, we keep leaning in the wrong direction and kind of hearing things that really God doesn't really want us to hear. We're focusing on the wrong thing. In fact, one, we talked about the creation story. You go all the way back to Genesis 1-1, one of the most familiar verses in the Bible. In fact, one of the most familiar things written in literature, and it's this verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when you hear that, there's, for some reason, so much controversy because there's all this debate. People want to talk about how old the universe is. And there's some people that lean to an old universe, and there's some people that lean to, a, to a, 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 or an old earth, and some people lean to a young earth, and there's all this debate. And people want to talk about how did, how did it all happen, like how did we get here? And the point of the story, if you, if you want to talk about all those things, you'll miss it because the point is not when or how, but why. That you're here for a reason. God created you. God put you together. God made you in his image, and God put us here for fellowship. So that's the why. And when you lean into the right point, it'll change your life. Last week, we talked about another story that's semi-controversial, at least in some of the details, and that's the story of Noah and the Flood. Now, again, if you were raised in church, you may feel like there's no controversy, but there is some debate. debate. Was it it a local flood? Was it a global flood? And and I'm so glad I've not really heard many people like give me much pushback because some of you might feel like, Pastor, don't believe the Bible. No, you're, you're missing the point. The point isn't about how expansive the flood is. The point was about how expansive God's favor was. Again, the point is not about water covering the earth, but grace covering our sin. That's the point is that, that the world, God is just in his judgment. God was going to pour out wrath on this planet because people were in rebellion, but instead he gave favor. Man, that's a power. Anybody here thankful for grace and thankful for favor? And so the reason I'm leaning into this series, and again today as we conclude it, is because it's important that you get the right point because when you get the right point of what God wants to say to you, it'll change your life forever. It'll change who you are. It'll change how you live. It'll change how you see things. When you get a word from God for your life, it changes everything. But unfortunately, when we focus on the wrong point, when we focus on the details that really aren't the essence of the story, sometimes, and this is happening culturally at an alarming rate, people are losing their faith. I wrote a blog blog this past week. I'd encourage you, if you want to get some extra content, uh, I've put together a website. I'm doing interviews and some content outside of the messages, things I don't have time to cover on a Sunday morning. If you're interested, you can text extra mile, one word, to 97,000. 
But this past week, I talked about this, this thing that's happening. Again, people's, people are having their faith deconstructed, which means there are people who grew up in churches being taught one thing, that the earth, for example, is young. And then they go off to college and they find all this evidence that biology teachers say, no, here we can show you the earth is old. And they're walking away from their faith. Why? Because they're focused on the when and not the why. And when you lose your why, you lose your way. Or they'll show up and they'll, they'll start figuring out that maybe it was a global flood. Maybe it was local. Who, who knows? That's not the point. The point is about is how powerful God's grace is. And so I just would encourage you, man, to make sure you're leaning into today again as we conclude this, because I want to talk about Jonah, book of Jonah. Book of Jonah is a pretty powerful book, and as we lean into it, what's crazy is as soon as I say Jonah, there is this Pavlonian response where we immediately think about a whale. Like, you can't talk about Jonah, and again, if, if maybe you don't have a church background, maybe not, but for all of us who maybe grew up in Sunday school or been in church for a while, as soon as we hear Jonah, we think whale. Jonah and the whale. Now, let me just say this for a few minutes before we get into the heart or the point of the book of Jonah. And that is that, first of all, I I always go with Jesus. Whatever Jesus says, I'm for. Whatever Jesus says, I'm behind. Uh, Because, you know, anybody who can predict their death and resurrection and pull it off, I believe you. And so Jesus very clearly taught, so if you struggle with how can a man be swallowed by a whale and live in the belly of a whale for three days, I know that seems, that seems, pretty, it seems pretty outrageous, but we're in Alabama and some of you have actually been noodling. Wait. In Ohio, we put a worm on a hook and stick it in the water. People in Alabama stick their arms inside catfish. What? <laughs> but I mean, think about this. There are fish just, just living in riverbanks that are big enough for you to stick your arm down in. Come on, if God can make quasars and, stun, and suns and galaxies, don't you think God can make a fish big enough to fit a man? I'm just telling you, if God can do the universe, he can do anything. Let's go, somebody. But Jesus, ultimately, we, we know this, Jesus validated the story of Jonah being inside of a fish. And the, the, just so we're clear, it never said a, a whale. It said that God prepared a great fish. But here's what Jesus had to say. Jesus said, for as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus was predicting his death and his burial for three days and his resurrection. And Jesus is saying the same way that I'm going to go into the tomb and come out a literal tomb and literally come out. Jonah went into a literal fish and literally came out. So if Jesus can go into the tomb and resurrect, God can put a fish in a man or a man in a fish. Actually, God can really do either. Let's just be honest. Isn't that the point? <laughs> I love it. I, I just got to just veer off one point before I get into really the heart of this. And it is this idea. I want you just to think about this. So the actual word is that God prepared a great fish and swallows Jonah up. And I love it because I want you to think about this. God, God had to produce a fish. God had to protect it from the time it was probably like a little minnow from all the other predators of the sea to make sure it was able to grow large enough that it could fit a man on the inside 
He not only produced it and protected it, but then positioned it at the right point, at the right place, at the right time, so it would be there when Jonah got thrown overboard. Let, come on, if God can do that with a fish, what can he do with you if you would just surrender your life to him? Come on. But Jonah is not about a great fish. It's about great faith. It's not about a great fish. It's about God's favor. And so as we lean into this story, I just want you just to open your heart and open your ears. It opens up Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, but Jonah, I'm sorry, verse 1, uh, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, the son of Amittai. So Jonah is a prophet. God speaks to Jonah and tells Jonah, I want you to take this message. He says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. So here's Jonah, and he's, he gets a word from God. He gets a message, and the message is, I've had it with the Ninevites. Who are the Ninevites? The Ninevites were the group of people who lived in the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of the global superpower at that time, the Assyrians. What you need to know about the Assyrians are that they were absolutely enemies in constant conflict with the nation of Israel. They were always battling, always fighting. And man, they fought dirty. Come on, you know some people that fight dirty? They weren't typical people. They were incredibly immoral, especially when it came to war. Because you can look back over thousands of years, and most nations, when they go to war, only fight against the other warriors, typically against only other men. What you find is they leave women and children alone, not the Ninevites. When they went into an area, they slaughtered everybody. It didn't matter if it was a two-month-old child. It didn't matter if it was a young girl. They slaughtered everybody. And they just didn't slaughter them, but oftentimes they were known, the Ninevites, to take their victims after they slaughtered them, cut off their head, and stick heads, and they would build walls around the cities that they took to announce to everybody, don't mess with us. And you better believe that Jonah had some people that he knew, that he went to school with, that he came up with, that grew up in his neighborhood, that lost their heads to this group of people and were sitting out on a pile somewhere. And God wakes him up one day and says, I want you to go tell them judgment's coming. Now, if you know somebody that is your most mortal enemy and God tells you, go tell them I'm coming for them, is anybody else fired up about that? Like you would think Jonah's like, woo. You know how when, when you're a kid and you got a brother or a sister and they do something wrong and you get pretty excited that dad's coming home? Oh, wait till dad gets home today. Like you're excited that your kid, that your brother or sister's about to get a beating. Like it fires you up, it does something to you, cranks your tractor. You would think this is how Jonah would feel. Jonah, again, I, I, I even hate to joke about it because Jonah hates these people. They're vile and wicked and violent. And God says, tell them I'm going to judge them. You would think Jonah would run as fast as he could to the city of Nineveh to announce judgment. And some of you know the story. That's not what he does. Verse 3 says this. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Why in the world... Would this prophet who's called to deliver God's messages, why would he run the opposite direction instead of running in the right direction to announce judgment? Do you know why? Because he knew. He knew God would forgive him. 
See, isn't it crazy that Jonah, Jonah was so convinced about God's forgiveness that he didn't want this other group of people to have it, so he ran in the opposite direction. As a pastor, I see this all the time, but people were convinced the wrong way. We're so convinced that God's mad at us and God's upset at us and, and we fell short and we missed the mark and we run from God and we run from church and we run from our small group and we run from community because we're afraid, man, we fell, we missed the mark, we messed up again, we said we would never do it again and we did it again and now we're just convinced that God's mad at us. I just wish everybody in this room and everybody watching online that you would be convinced of the mercy of God the same way that Jonah was. Jonah didn't run, he ran from it because he didn't want his neighbors to get it. I want you to know, man, that God's grace is greater than all of your sin and he's not mad at you as much as he just wants to bring you home, put his arms around you, heal you, restore you, and get you walking in your purpose. Let's go. And so the message comes, go tell the city of Nineveh, I'm going to destroy it. Jonah, he doesn't want them to get that message, so he runs from the Lord. And this is where Jonah chapter one and Jonah chapter two, that's what this is all about. Because this is where he goes down and he gets on a boat and he goes to this city called Tarshish, which is about a thousand miles away. It's in the totally opposite. He runs as far away from God's call on his life as possible. Some of you know something about that. And while he's out running from God on this boat, a storm, God sends a storm and the storm, everybody knows something's going on. They find out it's because Jonah's running from God, and so they throw Jonah overboard. And so God sends this, this great fish that he's prepared, and the fish swallows him up. And Jonah chapter 2 is the prayer that Jonah prays. And we see that ultimately after three days, this, this great fish throws Jonah up on the beach of Nineveh. And then Jonah chapter 3 kicks in. Verse 1. Are y'all with me today? Come on, someone make some noise for Jesus. It says, then the Lord spoke to Jonah. Come on, read those three words a second time. Everybody say a second time. Is anybody here thankful for second chances? Anybody here thankful that God didn't give up on you the first time? That when you messed up the first time and the second time and the fifth time? Any, come on, I, I wish somebody here was thankful. I can tell you, man, when, especially when I first became a believer, I made so many promises to God. God, if you get me out of this one, I promise I'll never, I'll never do this again. I'll never be there again. I'll never go over there again. And I kept finding myself in the wrong place with the wrong people doing the wrong things. But God's grace just continued to outweigh all of it. Come on, I'm thankful for second chances. So here's Jonah. Don't miss this. God calls Jonah to be obedient and Jonah is disobedient. Jonah is rebellious and he runs the other direction. God says, Jonah, I want you to go there. Jonah goes there. But God doesn't give up on him. God gives him a second chance. And then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Verse 2, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message that I've given you. And this time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh. And the people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. And when God saw, everybody say saw. When God saw, when he witnessed what they had done and how they put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. And so Jonah gets called a first time. He rebels. God's God of second chances. So he calls Jonah a second time. Jonah does 
now what the Lord wants him to do. He goes into the city of Nineveh. For 40 days, he announces God's judgment. And the Bible says that these people heard him and believed the message. I just got to stop and tell you, man, I, I know myself sometimes I feel like God will lay it on my heart to speak to somebody. You ever feel like you just should share your faith with somebody? Or you should challenge somebody about what God's doing in your life? And for some reason, I have been there where I think, man, there's no way they're going to listen. Like, there's no way they're going to hear me. And like I sometimes talk myself out of doing what God wants me to do because I think they won't do it. They, they just won't hear me. Here's one of the most wicked, vile nations to ever live during the time of Jonah. And God, sent, and God opens up their ears and they hear the message. I want you to know that you have no friends that are too far from the grace of Jesus. And so, man, they pre he preaches the gospel. And the Bible says they believe the message. That's all you have to do to get into a relationship with Christ. That's the first step, man, is just simple faith in the grace of Jesus. But I want you to know something, that, that salvation can be seen. Salvation can be seen. When you experience a true salvation, when you really experience the grace of God and it comes into your life, it's not just something you talk about. It's something that you become. It doesn't just change who you are on the inside. It starts changing who you are on the outside. For some reason, we've convinced ourselves that our, that our faith is, is personal. And while it's personal for sure, I get that, but it's never private. Our faith is very much public. When Jesus changed my life, March 19, 1989, while I wasn't perfect, while I was far from it, while I was still messing up and making mistakes, it was visible to everybody who knew me that I was changing. I was becoming somebody new. I had been impacted and infected by the grace of Jesus. Come on. And when God's grace gets a hold of your life, it will begin to change how you speak, how you live, how you act, how you behave, how you treat people. And if it's not impacted, you and infecting you, maybe you don't have it. Because the Bible says they believe the message. Everybody say they believed. Well, I want you to see this for a second. Listen to me. Repentance, number one, is visible. It's visible. The Bible says when they heard the message, they believed and they repented. God calls people everywhere not just to believe but to repentance. The message of John the Baptist was repent. Jesus, the message was repent. The kingdom of God is in. Like that's the, the word repentance means to turn around and go a different direction. Repentance is visible. The Bible says this entire nation, from the greatest to the least, that meant from the king to the kid, they all put on sackcloth and ashes. Now, I know that doesn't mean anything to us, but everybody's got that one shirt in their closet that got that, has that tag thing in the back, and the, every time you wear it, like, you just scratch. The, anybody know what I'm talking about? But you keep wearing it because it looks good on you? Like sackcloth didn't look good, but they put on, it was an uncomfortable reminder, like sandpaper on their skin. It was a reminder of their sin. And so repentance is visible. Repentance is practical. They just didn't do this for a season. The Bible says, and they began to change their evil ways. When Jesus comes into your life, he will set you free from old habits, old addictions, old heartaches, old bitterness, and God will set you free to walk into something new called liberty, and it'll show up in who you are. And so they just didn't repent for 40 days, but they began, began to become a new people. And ultimately, repentance is powerful because it's what averts the judgment of God and attracts the grace of God. And so ultimately, judgment that should have come to this nation was averted. Now, if you ended the story here, if you read... Jonah 1, 2, and 3. A prophet gets called. He goes on the run. He gets a second chance. He goes back to the nation and preaches this message, and they change their hearts, and they repent towards God. You can close the book 
and you would have a pretty powerful message. But the point of the story is not Jonah 1, it's not Jonah 2, and it's not Jonah 3. The point of the book is not the storm, and it's not the fish. The point of the book is Jonah chapter 4. Everything that happens in Jonah 1, Jonah 2, and Jonah 3 is to bring you and I face front to the reality of Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, if, you, uh, if you're here and you, didn't, you weren't raised in church or maybe you don't, you're not even sure if you believe this, you're watching online, you're like, I'm not really sure about these Christians, they feel like a lot of hypocrites, I'm about to give you a lot of ammunition to show you how hypocritical we can really be. Now, I know not you, I'm not talking about anybody about you, I'm talking about all the people who didn't come today. Let's go. Come on, anybody here ever been face-to-face with your own hypocrisy? God, the point of Jonah is for God to shine a mirror in the face of Jonah, how hypocritical he really is. And as we peel back the pages of this story to show us how hypocritical we really are. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Y'all ready? This change of plans, what plans? The plans that God had to destroy a wicked nation. The plans that Jonah heard God talk about that he was going to wipe out his mortal enemy that probably killed a bunch of his friends and family members, kids he went to school with. This change of plans when they repented and God forgave their sin, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That, watch this, that's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Did y'all hear this description? Because this is still the God we serve. He is still a God who's slow to anger and filled with compassion. Come on. He says this. He says, you are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. He's saying, if I don't get to see the judgment I preached about, then just take me home because I, I, I I'm done. God, how in the world? I'm so, how could you possibly forgive these people? If you're not getting it, Jonah was furious about God's forgiveness. Wait a minute. Are, are you kidding me, God? You're just going to forgive them? You're just going to let them walk away? They've been killing babies, and they've been killing women, and they've been slaughtering nations, and they're immoral, and they've been worshiping false gods, and just because, just because they repented, and just because they heard the message, you're just going to let them get off scot-free? God, are you kidding me? How could you dare turn your eyes away from this? How can you, walk, how can you not judge them? Jonah's already forgot that he needed a second chance. And, and here's, here's, here's the verse. If there's one verse that, that, that captures the whole book of Jonah, here it is. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. And the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? God's like, hey, Jonah, attitude check. Let's, let's talk about this attitude you have right now. I'm, he's saying, I'm, I'm feeling some attitude come off you right now. You seem to not agree with my decision to forgive them. Let's talk about that. Is it, is it right for you to have that attitude about my grace and my mercy towards them? Let me ask you a question. Come on. All of us in this room, 
I, I, don't, know what, I don't know what it is about us, but we wrestle the same way. Again, it's, it's crazy because, again, I think Jonah forgot he got a second chance. We're, we're the same way. We want, we want a second chance for us. Sometimes we just don't want other people to have a second chance. Now, let's talk about the other people for a minute. I don't know who the other people are in your life, but I got some other people that I've had in my life. I didn't want them to get grace. I didn't want them to. I wanted them to get judgment. I wish it turned out bad for them. I wish things went off the rail. I wish, I wish bad things happened. Come on. I'm, maybe I'm the only one that can be honest. Maybe some people at home can help me out. Have you ever had somebody that you were mad at, you were ticked off, took advantage of you, hurt you, broke a business deal, stole something from you, robbed you? Maybe they're the person that's now sleeping with your wife and you wanted the bad for them, you wanted the worst for them because they had it coming. Maybe you forgot you got a second chance. And what's crazy is when God asks this question, I want you to think about, it. is it right for you to be angry? about God forgiving certain people? Is it right to be furious about the forgiveness of God? I think the only way you can answer that is this, what depends on who gets the forgiveness. Because if the forgiveness is for us, no, I ain't mad at all. Come on, Jesus, I need some more of it. In fact, today I need some more. Let's go. But wait, that's for my enemy? That's for the people I don't like? Yeah, I'm mad about that. I'm happy when you forgive me. I'm mad when you forgive other people. If you're taking notes, have you ever noticed that we want pity for us and punishment for them? We want grace for our sin, and we want judgment for this, their sin. Who's the they? Maybe it's Black Lives Matter. Maybe it's police officers. Maybe it's President Trump. Maybe it's possible President Joe Biden. Maybe it's the neighbor you came up with. Maybe it's a family member that hurts you. Have you ever noticed we categorize people? Maybe you got a person or maybe you got an issue with people who decide to live certain lifestyles that you don't personally agree with. And so therefore, from your opinion, you're mad if God even considers giving them grace. They better get judgment. Have you ever heard people say something ridiculous like this? God's going to have to, God's going to, have to repent for what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah if he don't pour out judgment. It's like somehow we're begging for God. God, please judge people. I just wish God would judge them. I wish God would take them out. I wish God would wipe them out. They're vile and they're crooked and they're disgusting. Can, can I just ask you the question? Do you have a right to be angry about that? Let's, let's just talk real brass tacks. I don't know if this happened to anybody else. This happens to me, unfortunately, on a regular basis. I know I talk about speeding a lot because maybe I speed some. Has anybody else been in this exact scenario right here? That you're driving down the expressway one day, and you're, you're going just a couple over, and this maniac comes roaring down the road. And they fly by you. And your first thought is, oh, I hope they get pulled over. And you kind of look for it like you, in fact, kind of speed up a little bit and you hope you get to see the whoop, whoop, and the lights come on. You hope you see them pulled over down the side road because, babe, they had it coming because they're going faster than you. You want them to get caught. You want them to get a ticket. You want them, come on, you want them to pay a fine. You want them to slow down. It's like, boy, I wish somebody, I wish the cop would see them right now. Please, uh, Jesus, Jesus. Lord, please let there be a police officer on the next bend and pull that fool over in Jesus' name. Amen. You even turn some worship music on and lift your hands while you're driving. Let it be. Let it be. Come on. Until you're the one that's trying to get to the beach 
and you're doing 11 miles per over, and you ain't praying, Lord, let, me, let, let there be a police officer to pull the speed over your life. Lord, please, grace and mercy, don't let there be any cops for 50 miles in Jesus' name. Do y'all see? Come on, I'm joking, but I'm for real. Does anybody else see the hypocrisy? I want grace for my sin and rebellion. I want grace when I break the law, but I want them to get judgment. This is exactly what Jonah was going through. I want, I want grace when I mess up. I want grace and forgiveness when I'm rebellious. I want you to look at me with grace and a smile on your face when I run. But God, everybody else who's running that I don't agree with, I don't like their lifestyle, I don't agree with their choice, God, judge them, but give me grace. Do you have a right to be angry about that? Isn't it crazy how, how deep down underneath? See, that's why this is not really about Jonah. This is about church people. Because church people got an insider mentality. You know the insider mentality is once you're in for a little while, you forgot that you used to be out. You forgot you used to be the one shutting the club down. You forget you used to be the one sleeping around. You forget you used to be the person that every other word coming out of your mouth was slander and gossip and foulness. You forgot you used to be one bitterness in your heart. You forgot you used to be the one that grew up broken. You forgot you used to be the one addicted or having habits or struggles or hang-ups. And the grace of God met you where you were and gave you a second chance and forgave you and healed you and restored you and set you free and made you a child of God. And once we get on the inside, we forgot how we got here. And we start thinking the longer we are here that we earned our way here. That I'm here because I give enough. I pray hard enough. Now I started reading my Bible. And we forget that we are just as wicked. If If you're taking notes, we forget we were all Ninevites once. I deserve, the, I deserve the judgment of God just as much as anybody else. But I didn't get what I deserved. I got what I didn't deserve. Mercy, the mercy of God is when you don't get what you deserve. I deserve judgment. I deserve to be separated from a Savior. But Jesus came and he died on the cross for the sin of all humanity, even the people you don't agree with. That if anybody, any, would call on the name of the Lord Jesus, they'd be saved. And once they get saved, which is a work of God, how they work out their salvation and how long it takes isn't up to you. It's up to the one who saved them. Come on, y'all with me. Jonah, he he is so fired up. That insider mentality, we got to get beyond it because we have to believe that ultimately at the end of the day, God wants people we know to experience grace. And not just the people we like, but the people we don't like. Not just the people we agree with, but the people we don't agree with. Again, the description that Jonah has is, is God, I, the reason I ran from you is because I knew this would happen. I knew if I came here, I knew if I preached, they would hear. And I knew if they heard and repented, I knew you'd forgive them because you are compassionate, because you are long-suffering. God, I knew this would happen. That's why I didn't want to come preach. There's a story in Luke chapter 9. And it's this idea, right? So Jesus, he's out and he's He's going from city to city, and he's preaching again the kingdom. He's telling people about the life change that he can bring and the restoration they can experience. And he comes to this one particular city, and while he's there, he's preaching. The Bible says it's a Samaritan city, which, again, if you don't know, Samaritans and Jews, just like Samaritans and Ninevites, like they they were butting heads. Jews did not like Samaritans at all. 
But Jesus wanders into the Samaritan village, and the Bible says they reject Jesus. They don't want anything to do with him. And there's these two, these, these two guys that are hanging out with Jesus, two of the disciples, James and John. And they have a nickname called the Sons of Thunder. And not because they have deep bass voices and they sing in the shower well. They're called the sons of thunder. You're about to find out because they got an attitude with everybody and they're screaming about everybody. They're the ones that sit up and watch CNN news and scream at the TV or watch Fox news and scream at the TV. They're the ones hanging out at work complaining about the political landscape. They ain't talking about the grace of God. They're talking about the problems of the world. They're the ones that got an issue with everyone. Can you believe them? Look at them. I can't believe they're living like that. Look how them fools are behaving. Man, I just, come on, y'all know who I'm talking about? Those are the sons of thunder. We all know some sons of thunders. If you don't know who the sons of thunder are in your group, you're them. And so they look at Jesus and like, Jesus, can you believe them? Look how they're acting. You want us to call down, you want us to call down fire from heaven? Like they're, they're throwing back to Elijah. Elijah, the prophet one time called fire down. They're like, Jesus, I can't believe they're disrespecting you like this. I can't believe they're rebellious like this. Just say the word Jesus and we'll call down, we'll call down fire from heaven and we'll wipe these people out. Just say the word, Jesus. I want you to notice this, Luke chapter 9, verse 55 and 56. I want everybody here at home, everybody here in this building, because this should be the heartbeat of this house. I want you to read this with me. But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what matter of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. When your heart is fixed on judgment, when your heart is fixed on somebody getting what they deserve, you forgot you're not of the spirit of Jesus because Jesus didn't give you what you deserved. And we should want for other people the same thing we got. And I don't know if anybody else here is thankful for the grace and the mercy and the forgive. Come on, is anybody here? I wish y'all would just stand on your feet for 30 seconds. Come on and give God some praise because he gave you grace when you didn't deserve it. He gave you mercy when you had something else coming. Come on, I want just this for a minute. Come on, I want us to celebrate the goodness and the mercy of God. For some reason, we feel like the identity and the purpose of the church is that we're here to keep all the wrong people from getting what we have. If you're taking notes, we need to quit stopping grace and start steering grace. We're not here to stop other people from getting it. We're here to steer it to the people who need it most. Hey, listen, I may not agree with you, but let me tell you about the grace of Jesus. Let me tell you about the goodness and the mercy of my God. Let me tell you about how he'll meet you where you are and change you forever. Come on, we should be steering it to the people who need it most. And the people sometimes who need it most are your enemies because they're the person who hurts you. They're the person who's probably not living outside of whatever. We need to steer it in. You know, one of my favorite things, I'm, I'm not sure when this took off, it's probably been a thing for a long time, but I'm not sure where it captured the term life hacks. Life hacks. You know, life hacks, man, just Google it and it's everywhere. It's all these little tips and tricks of how to do things, make your life easier and more effective and more efficient. Life hacks. Life hacks were a thing before they were a thing for me. When I was a little kid, y'all don't know nothing about snow down here in Bama, but where I came up, there was this little stuff that came like six months out of the year. And so we would have to wear big, heavy rubber boots to school. 
And it's always a fight because rubber boots were uncool when you're in sixth grade. And the only thing more uncool than rubber boots was it was really tough to get these things on and off. And so my mom had a life hack. You ready for the life hack? If you ever go to the slopes, this is the life hack. If you put a Wonder Bread bag on your foot first, man, that, foot, that boot just slides on Woo, like butter. Until you get to sixth grade and you get to school and all the kids see you pull the rubber boot off that's already uncool and you got a bread bag on your foot. <laughs> but it's a life hack. There's a life hack right now that you can fold. Anybody see this? This is genius. It, sh it shows you how to fold a potato chip bag up, and you don't have to have any clips or anything. It stays fresh, which I don't need because ba bags of chips don't even, I don't need to fold them. This <laughs> is life hack. Again, a life hack is a solution to a problem that makes life easier. The greatest life hack in the world is the grace and mercy of Jesus. You, you, want, you want to know how to, how to get free and how to overcome shame and guilt and struggle and sin? And Do you know how to know that you've got purpose in life and you're connected to your... It's the grace and mercy of Jesus. And it's crazy because people got websites and YouTube channels and all the blog for, for life hacks. And here we are, the church, and we're like, no, I ain't sharing my life. This is, this, is, this is for the insiders. And we should be the ones screaming the loudest, telling everybody we know near and far, not just our best friends, but our worst enemies. Let me tell you, let me tell you about the grace of Jesus. Let me tell you about the grace of Jesus. See, the story of Jonah is not about a man being swallowed by a fish. It's about a man who's swallowed by God's mercy. He is so overcome. He's so overwhelmed. Some of us were angry that God would even think about forgiving other people. But before you decide who gets it, remember you needed it first. And as a church, we're going to welcome any person, anywhere, of any lifestyle, of any background, of any habit into this house. Because we know the solution to their sin was the same solution to our sin. It was the grace and the mercy of Jesus. So the next time you read the book of Jonah, don't get caught up on the fish. Get caught up on the, probably at some point in your life, you were the Jonah. You were the one that rebelled and ran. You're the one that got a second chance. And you're the one to put in the position to announce what you experienced to the world who needs a second chance. So, Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you would wash over us this message. God, some of us here, we need to hear it. We need a second chance. We need a second chance. We've, we've missed the mark. We messed up. We fell short. We rebelled. We're on the run, and we need a second chance. Listen, if you're at home and you're watching this, and maybe you're the one saying, man, Pastor, I need a second chance. I want you to know that if you'll do exactly what the Ninevites did, they believe the message. Jesus came and he died on the cross for you and he died in your place and took your sin so you could find forgiveness and grace. All you have to do is just say, Jesus, I, I put all my hope in you. And that salvation, you'll be able to see it. It'll start showing up in how you live, but it starts with the decision of turning to Jesus. And so if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, you're watching online, you've never said yes to God's grace, I want to pray a simple prayer and you can follow me. And you make that connection today that will change you forever. Say, Jesus, I put all of my hope in you. Be my Savior. 
forgive me of my sin and help me to follow you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And for us as a house, we're going to be a place and we're going to be a people that we're excited about not blocking grace, but steering grace to everybody who needs it. In Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees said amen. I love you guys, man. Thanks so much. Great to see you in the house.